All right, Wolfpack Nation, welcome to the second ever Scott Woods One Man Wolfpack. We got a great guest today. He's a proven winner. Uh, I'd like to welcome Coach Kevin Keats to the scene. Thanks for being here, Coach. Listen, Scott, it's an honor to be on here with you. Um, I'm disappointed a little bit. I won't say why, but I did hear you say that I'm the second guest, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> that's all right, and that, that's probably my fault. I should have jumped in and, and became the first guest, but um, regardless of that, I'm excited to be on with you and excited to see your face and um, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So first, I'd like to thank the Field of 68 Network again for having us on here. Uh, there's a lot of guys doing a podcast on this from from all over a lot of big schools. So feel free to subscribe, like, do all those things that you can do. So uh, we'll jump right into it. We'll, we'll talk a little bit, you know, about how you kind of became a coach and, and, you know, early life. And then we'll, we'll move into some of, you know, what we can expect from the Wolfpack this year. So the first thing is, so I hear you were a basketball and football player growing up. Touch on that and say, which, which one were you better at when you were younger? Well, that, that's easy. That's an easy one to answer. Um, I, I did play both sports, and um, I, was a, I was a high school quarterback. And I thought I was a pretty good quarterback. But when it came down to deciding whether I'm going to play football or basketball, the decision was easy. One of them was an outdoor sport where it's extremely <laughs> cold. And one of them, you took a lot of free hits and you didn't have to take those free hits. So when it came to making the decision, I said, you know what? I'm going to go with basketball. Uh, I got my toughness from football. You yep. know, kind of like to recruit guys who, if they are two sports guys who have played football, we've got a young man that we signed, um, Breon Pass, who – Mm -hmm. a, I mean, who's a really good football player also, and he's coming in. Uh, but I loved it. I loved those guys, those type of guys. But I had a great time. I enjoyed my football. I'm lucky enough to say at my high school, I've never lost a game as a starting quarterback. Now, I didn't say we went undefeated. The games that we lost, I didn't play in that game. So I can <laughs> always stick with that. So, hey, listen, anytime you can go without losing the game, I'd, I'd say you, you're pretty good at it regardless of what it is. So – so we're going to get it kind of into the coaching. Um, what made you decide, you know, I, I want to be a coach. I want to, you know, enter the basketball world. What kind of things, you know, maybe triggered you, maybe your influences? Who brought you into this world? Yeah, that's a, that's a Scott, that's a great question. Um, I'm like most of young men when they coming towards the end of their career in basketball, they're trying to figure out whether you're good enough to continue to play or whether you got to get into the, to the work world. And I had to get into the work world. I wasn't good enough to continue to play. But I didn't know that I was going to be a, a basketball coach. Had no idea. Really didn't have a desire for it. And so my coach, um, my last year there, I was staying there at Firm College, and uh -huh. uh, we had a brand-new assistant coach. Uh, he came in, didn't know anything about the program. My coach had got into a major accident almost to the point where they were, they thought they would had to cut his legs off just to get him out the car. And so during that time, the assistant coach, because he was new, a guy named Steve Profrock, um, we ended up, I ended up staying, helping him out to coach healed or got better. And at that time, I kind of got the itch about being a, a basketball coach. Um, didn't know that that was what I was going to be. I got invited back to my high school to be the quarterback coach. I was trying to figure that part out of it. And then Steve Profack, after that year at Ferrum, he ended up going to a, a junior college, Southwestern Michigan Junior College in a mm -hmm. small town called the Wajak, Michigan, right out of South Bend. And he invited me to be his assistant coach. And that's kind of how I got started in the business. So um, I got Jeff Goodman, who kind of put the field of 68 together. Yeah. And, and I don't know the backstory on this. So you're, you'll probably have to fill me in. He, he told me to ask you how brutal you were to, to work with while you were at Hargrave. So you guys had to have had something going on there. So he, he, he said this would be a good question to ask you. Listen, uh, whatever Jeff says, you scratch that. You know that. <laughs> no, we had uh, Jeff, uh, myself, uh, Dave Tellup, who's with the Spurs. We all kind of came up together. Um, mm -hmm. We were all young and new in the business. Um, when I first met Jeff and I met guys like Dave Tellup, I was an assistant coach there at Hargrave. And the guy I, I worked for, Scott Shepard, UBA, and worked for Pete Gillen, mm -hmm. I actually got the, um, the head job. And so we kind of grew together. 
I was not hard to work with. Uh, I was blessed, though, because we had, you know, a bunch of Division One guys. I think we were averaging about 10 or 11 Division One guys per year. Uh, the guys that you may know, I had Deshaun Painter for a little bit. I had Lorenzo Brown. Mm-hmm. So we've had some guys who obviously have wore the same state um, uniform. But before you knew of the great Jeff Goodman, I got a bunch of stories about, um, <laughs> you know, when he first started off and, you know, how he became Jeff Goodman. But the same thing here, very Wood. But we kind of all grew. And, you know, I'm blessed to be where I'm at. Same thing you can tell up and Jeff Goodman. Yeah, that's great. So staying with the Hargrave, if you if you had to take one that you would say is the best player that you had there, who would you take? I mean, you know, Scott, you, you know you can never pick – like you got kids, who, who's going to be your – who's your favorite kid? Um, that's tough. I mean, Well, I, I only have one kid now, so I can, I can get away with it. I know it, but you're going to have more in the future. Then I want somebody – ask you that and see what you think you know we had some really good players um you know a bunch of those guys went on to become nba guys um i would say at hargrave if you made me pick one i would probably say it was corleone young Mm -hmm. straight from um hargrave to the nba um talented as a guy he was ready he was a man at that time he would probably be the one that i'd say stand out but i mean many of them. We had, we had Lonnie Baxter's and those guys who won a national championship. I had Flight White. Um, you know, we had um, I, even one young man that didn't even play for me as much, um, Joe Alexander was a number eight pick. Um, so we've had so many guys who've come through the program. Maurice Spates who ended up winning a NCAA championship and the NBA championship. Yep. If you're saying, hey, and I just want to preface this to all my former Hargrave players. I love you all, and I think you're great. <laughs> he was just uh, – his body was physically ready to play. Yeah, that makes sense, especially if you're going to make the jump from there to go to the prof- anything professional is – I mean, that's a jump. So let, let's move into kind of the Patino uh, side of it. So what did it mean to kind of be under such a great coach – and then would you say if there's anything that you took from his style of play, uh, what would you say that you've kind of taken along that you kind of learned from him that you try to utilize today now with the Wolfpack? Well, I would say the biggest thing that, that you can take away, when you go work for a Hall of Fame coach, you know, obviously you think that he's going to do everything. Um, the great thing about him is coach gave us a lot of freedom to coach. You know, he mm-hmm. never – I never felt like he put any of us as assistant coaches in a box. You know, uh, I think he made a statement one time, uh, I, don't, I don't hire assistant coaches, I hire future head coaches. And I thought that was one great thing because, you know, when you work under him, you are prepared for an opportunity to become a head coach when, you have, when you're able to get away from him. And he did a tremendous job, um, great teacher. I think some of the things that, you, you know, he, he taught you so much, but you learn how to prepare. You know, you had to you know, how to prepare for a team. Um, you know, obviously, we worked extremely hard. We did a lot of scouting against um, any of our opponents. As far as some of the things that I'm taking from him, it's more on a defensive end. You know, I left Hargrave. We were a pressing team. I've added a couple of presses that he had. Most of the guys who have worked for Coach has done a tremendous job offensively. So we all kind of had our own system that once we became a head coach, we wanted to implement our own system offensively, but defensively and how hard you play. You know, his kids have always competed and played so hard, and that's one of the things that I've taken away from him to get my guys to compete that way. Yeah, and I can tell you I'm glad I didn't play Louisville during that time because uh, uh, Lorenzo, uh, AJ, uh, Alex, I mean – all of them bringing the ball to the court, I would have had a, a time with that. I just remember when I was in school just watching you guys play, just the – how hard you, like, tried to get in and, and you know, turn the defenders as much as you could turn them uh, just didn't look fun to me. So, I'm fortunate yeah. enough I didn't have to deal with any of that. Yeah, we – you know, that's uh, – you know, if, you, if you're going to give a, pop, perp, um, a compliment – about any coach, the one thing I would say with him, a lot of people know a lot of things about him and know he's a tremendous coach, but obviously his teams play extremely hard. Yeah. And I mean, especially now that I'm, you know, kind of away from it, that, that's all you can ask from a player. Hey, you might lose a game, but if you tell me you laid it all out there, uh, 
and they just played a better game. You know, sometimes you just got to shake hands with the opponent and say, hey, you, you got us this time. But if you're going to put that effort towards, you know, playing great defense, executing on offense, not shooting yourself in the foot on some things, that's that's all you can ask for, uh, especially as a I know as a coach, that's probably one of the things, you know, if my team's going to give me it all, we're going to have to live with some results. Yeah, we Scott, we went into every game wanting to be the hardest playing team. Yeah, you know that's you know that's uh, says a lot about him. Says a lot about some of the guys who worked under him. Um, we try to get these guys to com- compete at a high level every time they go play. Yep, that's all you can ask for. So, to kind of stay on the style of play, um, what for you as a coach going into the game? I know you kind of touched on it defensively. What are some of the main things uh, offensively and defensively that you really want to? you know, enforce on the other team? I know a lot of it, you know, kind of comes down to maybe who you're playing. Uh, but what's one of the kind of the concepts that you really want to emphasize on the offensive end as well as the defensive end? Well, I think, you know, offensively, um, we want to play fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we love to get out in transition. Um, we love to uh, take threes. You know, if I, you know, I would love to have coached you when you look at a, a young man and yourself at your size, um, six five, six six. I'll say six six because people love you when you're taller. <laughs> um, and looking at your career, the way you shot the three point ball, you know, obviously at least three of your years over forty percent. That's impressive. And yeah. so we play fast. We get out. We love to shoot threes. On the defensive end, you know, we want to control tempo. We're a pressing team, but that doesn't mean that we necessarily want to give up um, layups on the other end. You yeah. know, we press to make you take quick shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't always get a turnover. We don't always get a steal, but we consider a quick, fast shot as a turnover. And so with those two two different things, offense and defense, we run a style that I think kids really love to play in. I run more ball screens than most. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to run a pro offense. We try to space you out. Uh, we give you a lot of freedom to play. I don't question you many times about the shots you take on the offensive end. You just have to play hard on the defensive end for me. Yeah, and I think uh, that freedom, uh, especially as an offensive-minded guy, I guess I would say, uh, is, is very nice to have, especially on that end. So with, I guess, I'm kind of jumping ahead of my questions a little bit, but it kind of ties into it. So with with Markel gone, you, you know, you lose a big – kind of point guard you know a guy that kind of runs the team and you kind of mentioned we want to play a fast tempo offense you know with him leaving um you got to put a lot of trust in you know when you're going to push you got to know you know certain times in the game where you know if you've had uh they've scored a couple times or things are getting sloppy every once in a while you got to back it up slow it down who do you now kind of trust to you know understand hey we got to push it now now we got to slow it down so who's going to kind of fill that void for you guys in the upcoming season? Yeah, Scott, it's going to be by committee. Mm-hmm. Look at Markel Johnson. It's hard to get someone to play the way he did for two, at least two of the three years where he led the ACC in assists. Um, we don't have that one person that may lead the league or be high in assists, but we have several options. You know, Braxton Beverly, when you go to his assist-to-turnover ratio, his freshman year was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got Thomas Allen, who's a transfer from Nebraska, who can also play some point guard for us. And then I've got two really talented freshmen in Cam um, Hayes and Shaquille Moore, who both are really good. The unfortunate thing about those guys, like we would have in the past, we don't have an exhibition or a scrimmage to even see yeah. them play against anybody. So they'll have to go right, get thrown right into the fire. That being said, I like the fact that we've got several guys that we don't have to rely on that one person to play the point. When Markel was here, he was really our only primary point outside of Braxton Beverly a little bit, who hasn't been healthy in the last couple of years. And so I'll go back to your original question. We're going to do it by committee. Um, I'm like football. Don't ask me who's a starting point guard because I don't know right now. I just know on Wednesday I'm going to be able to roll somebody out there. Well, and that's nice, too, because, you know, especially when you, you know, probably not so much college because you usually have that guy that's classified as the point guard or position that, you know, Manny gets a rebound and he can basically kick it out to anybody and anybody can start the offense. Anybody can start the break, you know. So I think that'll be definitely in your favor to have, you know, four or five guys 
um, to be able to push the break and to kind of get something going. So I, I'll, I'm kind of looking forward to it because I know obviously Markel was a big piece, but it definitely opens up some more opportunities for some guys that, you know, we necessarily haven't seen and some freshmen to, to kind of get those minutes and kind of lead the break a little bit. Yeah, you know, Scott, we want to play fast. And what we haven't done in the last couple of years, we've been a really good offensive rebounding team. Uh -huh. We haven't done as well defensive rebounding. In order to run, we have to do a better job hitting people and getting defensive rebounds so we can get out of transition. Yeah, I had a – I had a, I think it was Bobby Lutz. Uh, he said the offense starts with the defensive rebound. You got to yeah. get – you can't go anywhere if you don't get a rebound. So, <laughs> it's funny you said that. So – I, this is probably the one question that's probably that I'm the most intrigued about. So yeah. you, you finish up at Wilmington and, you know, you get a call from the 919. It's somebody with a 919 Eric code. What kind of went through your head and what were your first thoughts, you know, when I don't know if it was uh, Dr. Yao or who made the call? What was your thoughts when you first, you know, received that call? Well, number one, I was honored. I was blessed. Um, we were fortunate enough at Wilmington to to win three regular season championships, and we went to uh, two NCAA tournaments. In those NCAA tournaments, we played both Duke and Virginia, two mm -hmm. ACC teams, and we played them pretty tough all the way to the end. Even you know the last game against Virginia, we led at the half and and um, had a chance before I ended up coming to NC State. But I was honored. I was blessed. Um, you know, I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I tell people this story all the time. I really grew up more of as an NC State fan than I did a Virginia or Virginia Tech fan. Don't ask me why. Um, I just yes. did. And so I was honored. I was blessed. Um, and I wanted to sit down and talk and just hear things out and, you know, obviously see what type of an opportunity it was. And, you know, as I sit down with um, you know, Coach Yowell and her staff, I felt like this was the right place for me. I thought it was a great opportunity. You know, I obviously, as I said, growing up in Virginia and then recruiting most of my life in North Carolina, I thought it was a great fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to complain about that. Everybody's loving you here. So I guess uh, my question too is, um, was there ever any like other teams or someone else that reached out to you that would have made your you know, decision a little difficult? Because I sat with um, – uh, a little family that was from Wilmington that was, I think it was the Pittsburgh game. And I sat right next to them and I, we kind of got to know each other. And they're like, oh, I, I used to be a foreign player. Why are you guys here? We're like, oh, we're here with, for Coach Keats. And kind of the impact you left on them said a lot about you because, you know, you still have a huge following from Wilmington as well. So was there ever any doubt in your mind that maybe you weren't going to leave Wilmington or any other team that maybe would have piqued your interest? You know, I was I was very Scott. I was very happy there. It's a great place. Um, we'd had success. I felt like that we were going to have a good team returning. Of course, I would have had C.J. Bryce back. I yep. would have had Dante Kaycock back, who just won a national championship. I thought we had a good team, just like every major program that wins two or three years in a row. Of course, we all say the same thing: we're going to be the Gonzaga. And yeah. so I'm thinking I'm going to be Gonzaga and. You know, same thing we talked about, you know, BCU had a great run in the CAA back in the day. We had built the program where we wanted to. And going into year four, I was excited about it. Uh, we had a few, meaning we, I say me because I always put my staff involved, mm -hmm. a few opportunities talk, to talk to a few other schools about their openings. But I don't know if it wasn't NC State would I have left. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I was just curious to know kind of the situation and how it all came about. So you've had some, uh, I guess you'd say, unfortunate things happen. So it's you've had two players go from prep school to the just basically go pros that had committed to NC State at some time. And I haven't really heard a lot of, about it. So one, how frustrating is it uh, to have this happen, I know obviously you're probably excited for the player, you know, to, to get a go, have the opportunity to play professional, but also, you know, you lose that that scholarship that you thought you had and now they're gone. So how do you want how do you kind of prep for that and kind of sell the school, I guess, a little harder than maybe the the professional aspect of it, but just kind of touch on that and how difficult that can be. Well, I think you touched on it. I'm extremely excited for the young men. Mm -hmm. Anytime, you know, we build relationships and as you know, this, you've been recruited at a high level, 
you start off building relationship as they're younger and building it with their parents and all that other stuff. I had enough relationship with both Jalen the Q and Josh Hall and their family where we had an open enough dialogue where they would talk about what they wanted and what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. I think in their mind, both of those groups felt like this was the best opportunity for their children. I'm never going to get in the way of a family when they think that's the best situation for those guys. Is it a little disappointing? Yes. But at the end of the day, I'm always in favor of what, you know, any player and any family doing what they think is the best thing for them. Um, I'm happy. I still have a relationship with um, both of those um, families. I'm going to continue to talk to um, you know, both of those families. I want to try to help them as much as I can and we'll move on. Uh, it's been unfortunate for us, um, but it gives somebody else another opportunity to have the chance to be able to come to NC State and that's what it is. And, you know, I try not to think about what, what ifs, you know, yeah. I think one of the, the toughest and the worst words in the dictionary is if, if I had him, what would have happened? If I've done this, what would have happened? So we just kind of move on from it. Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you a lot of things, especially the fans don't realize is how close you get to, you know, the coach uh, during the recruiting process. It's, it's almost like a family. I tell everybody, uh, when, when coach Yao came in uh, my, after my sophomore year and told me that coach Lowe was going to be fired, I was in tears. Like it was, it was hard. You get to know, you know, the staff and it really becomes a family and I'm getting emotional about it now. It's just, uh, it's just something that people, you know, kind of don't realize, you know, they, obviously the school has kept me here for the rest of my life, but they don't realize how close you get in the kind of the friendship and the bonds you create with, uh, with the coaching staff and the players here. So um, yes, I, I think you hit on it. I think that's exactly right. The relationships that, you know, and I'm sure, I'm sure with Coach Lowe that you guys are going to have a relationship for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I bring a guy into my program, a player, I want to make sure that I leave him out there ready for the world. I want him to be a great husband. You know, I want mm-hmm. him to be a great father, those type of things. And people discount that so much. They don't understand the relationship that you have. You know, we're in the world right now. If you don't play a lot, you end up transferring. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of young men are falling short because they don't have they don't find time to develop a relationship with the coach or the coach doesn't develop a relationship with the player because we're in a different world right now. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So moving on kind of to the team. Uh, and I know I told you prior, I, this is something I wanted to touch on. Um, so with the virus and everything that's going on, can you kind of touch on, you know, how that has kind of changed, you know, practice and study hall. Cause I remember when I was there, you know, you'd go to practice and everybody'd be there. And then afterward we'd have two hours of study hall at, uh, at case kind of touch on the, the differences that you, and the challenges that you've kind of had to experience through this whole process. Scott, it's different. Um, it's nothing like you've ever seen before. Um, you know, just think about everything and you're a perfect example of this. Um, you were a student athlete. Um, you know, not only did you excel on the basketball court, but you excelled in the classroom. Well, learning is different now. Yeah. You know, we have different guys on our team who learn in different ways. And now we don't have that option. When you were here, you had some guys who had very few online classes and most were in person. Mm-hmm. Now we've been forced all to go in uh, online. And that's been great for some guys. And it's been a struggle for others. I go through the same thing with my two sons who, 16 and one's thriving and then one may struggle a little bit because they're not used to that. So that's been a challenge and, and nobody around really thinks about that because they think the shift is um, easy. They think it's, a, it's not that task to go online where well, it is because you have more discipline. You have to have more discipline. You have to, we still do the same things. They still have to meet their tutors. Uh, even though they're not going to case, we still have to do it at least an hour to two hours a day. Mm-hmm. As far as the team, you know, we have to think about everything. We have to wear a mask all the time. Uh, when our guys are not on the court, you know, we require them to wear a mask. Uh, as coaches, we wear a mask on and off the court pretty much all day long. As far as getting together and watching film, that's been a different thing. Um, you know, we have to, I've had to split the team up and watch film. And so we can have proper social distance. Um, if somebody was to become positive, one of the biggest things that's hurt a lot of teams around the country 
is contact tracing um, because of the fact that you get guys. We've had to talk to them, Scott, about not hanging out with each other off the court. And so you don't get a chance to get that bond. Think about after you played and, you know, after a big game, you would go to the locker room and y'all were just sitting there and talk. Or after the practice, you would be able to do that. That, no. that was your place. Well, we don't have the luxury of that now. Guys have to, you know, we'll send three or four in the locker room, they, then they'll leave, and then some more guys will go in. It's just a different way of doing things. But it's the right way because we want to try to protect our program and protect guys around us. Yeah, for sure. So kind of piggybacking on that, how do you kind of see – because at the end of the day, you can only control NC State. You can only control your players. How do you see the season kind of taking off with, you know, the virus and everything lingering in the background? Well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for everyone. And I know many folks don't want to hear this, um, but it's going to be a challenge, obviously, to have a complete season. You know, we're scheduled for 27 games. The NCAA says in order to qualify for the tournament, you got to play at least 13 games. It's going to be tough. Um, you know, we're, we, we're going to three, uh, testing three times a week. And, you know, we pray that every time we test that we don't have a positive because in contact tracing, tra- tracing will look different in football. Most of the ACC schools in football had a couple by weeks. And so yeah. if a game got canceled, they could shift it. If you take 14 or sometime up to 21 days out of any ACC team schedule, they're going to miss five or six games. And then what if that happens two or three times? And so it's a, it's a, it's a really tough deal right now. And it's something that we all going to have to adjust to. Haven't talked about this much, you know, with the fans, um, you know, you played in PNC, you played in rentals. Uh, we, we have the most passionate fan base in the country. There's a great chance that we're going to have minimal fans or no fans in the game. And so we're going to have to create our own energy. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of people have asked me about, you know, what do you think it's going to do not having fans? Do you think it'll be positive or negative? And I think the thing that kind of hits in my mind, I think one, you know, it can be positive in the fact, you know, you're going to hear everybody talk. You're going to hear, you know, the play calling that they call fist up, fist down. So the scout's going to be a little bit easier. So there's some positives, but you also got to remember too, as a player, you really do feed off that, that crowd. You feed off the energy, even, you know, if things aren't going well and the other team makes a run, you know, they kind of pick you up a little bit. So It'll definitely be interesting. I know, obviously, the NBA bubble had it, so you could kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of what it would be like. But uh, it'll definitely be different, and it'll definitely be interesting to see how it all works out. Yeah, think about this, Scott, and people don't know this about you. Your record of returning back to NC State is pretty doggone good. We have <laughs> one with you in the house, and they, everybody don't know that. You, you, you can get any tickets you want when we play <laughs> just because we win when you're in the house. I've seen you out there when we won the great game against Duke and you're jumping around, I was like, man, what a great deal. And I appreciate <laughs> you for that. Hey, li- listen, I had the same thing. Uh, there's alumni behind there doing the same thing while I was there. And I remember what a thrill it was to be there. So the only thing I can do is come, come back and, and offer the same thing to the student athletes there now. So it's a great time. I'll tell you that. And it was a great game. I'll tell you that too. So kind of moving on to um, the freshmen, which, I'll tell you firsthand, I don't know a lot about them. Obviously, I know, you know, their high school and, and kind of that. And it's a big jump. Like, I mean, it's like I said, anything going from college to pro, middle school to high school, it's, it's, it's difficult. Kind of touch on, you know, the freshmen. And, you know, obviously the virus has probably kind of challenged them in a way, too, that they kind of didn't expect. What kind of an adjustment has it been for them? And what kind of are the expectations for them uh, for the season since, like you said, they don't have a preseason to kind of prepare and get those games that they normally would? Well, it's tough um, because we would normally be able to bring the freshmen in for the summer for eight weeks. And obviously the first summer school was tough because we were right in the middle of COVID and trying to figure that out. And obviously things got delayed. The tough thing for them is they got to get thrown. All of them have to be thrown in the fire right away because uh-huh. you remember, you think about this, in college basketball, you can play two exhibitions, two scrimmages, or one of each. We don't have any of that. So the first time that those guys get a chance to play would be the 25th, and they'll play against someone and with no tune-ups. They don't have the opportunity to do that. It's a learning curve. What I will tell you is 
freshmen today are more prepared than they were, let's say, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, with the amount of AAU, the amount of travel ball, the amount of basketball that these guys get a chance to play. Um, they're more prepared to come in and play. And so with our guys, um, we've got some guys who came from some really good programs that have helped accelerate the learning curve and be able to play right away. And I'm excited that, you know, some of these guys will contribute right away. And it's going to take a few of those guys um, a little longer than others. And as we work, as we go through the process, hopefully we can develop an all five or six. And I say six because we had one young man who was an academic redshirt last year who mm -hmm. was a freshman. And so hopefully throughout the year, all six can contribute. All six have to be ready because of injuries and COVID. Yeah. Now, would you say because, you know, you don't get those preseason games, would you say it's kind of changed your practice schedule a little bit? Maybe now you're playing a little bit more five on five? Because I remember when I first got there, it was, you know, we do the small groups where they give you the hour. So you do a lot of like three on three and kind of run a little bit of like the your position five on oh. Uh, would you say it's kind of accelerated, you know, getting to the five on five portion and trying to scrimmage a little bit more than what you'd probably be used to? Absolutely. Um, and we've had to put our freshmen in situations as though they were game situations. So mm -hmm. we have played more five on five lately than we would have in the past, just because um, we want those guys to get game experience. We've also done a couple inter squad scrimmages, which is difficult for a pressing team because you're only going to have six or seven on each team. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand. You go, you go wear out some guys pretty quick doing that. So, so obviously we've talked about Markel and, and now bringing in CJ, um, you lose two big scores, you lose two big pieces. And I think one of the, the big things for me as a player was leadership. And I just wanted to be not as much a vocal leader, but a guy that kind of led by example and kind of kind of brought some guys along. I know I've said one of my regrets was my senior year, preseason six. I wish I'd have been a better leader. So you got two big guys that are taking off. Who do you expect to kind of fill the leadership role? I know the coach's answer is going to be a committee, um, but who do you expect? You know, obviously you got Devin coming as a senior. You got DJ coming back. Who do you expect to kind of fill that that role to be a leader going forward? Well, I, I hope it's going to be DJ. I hope it's going to be um, Braxton. I hope it's going to be Devin. Mm -hmm. Those guys, this is their last opportunity. We don't know, and I think you touched on this your senior year. It was fortunate because outside of an injury, you knew you were going to play these, these amount of games. Mm -hmm. I'm asking these guys to be leaders because they don't know if they're going to play 10 games, 15 games, or 27 yeah. games. And so I want those guys to step up take ownership of their team. You know, when players run the team, it's a better team. And so I want those guys to be, you know, the voices in the locker room. I want those guys to, you know, help me teach the younger guys. You know, that's why, you know, what's the good thing about having guys who are older, they've been in the program and they understand what I want as a coach and I need them to step up in that area. Yeah. And I think uh, the nice part too is, it's like you said, you know, you, you can do so much as a coach, but you also have to remember, you know, they're, they're in the locker room and you know how it is. Players start talking, oh, coach was dogging me on this. I don't like how he's doing this. And, you know, you need those, those guys that can kind of have that accountability and, you know, you know kind of bring in the freshmen and say, hey, man, you just, we got to keep working. We got to keep doing this. And they also have to be able to take some criticism. For granted, I've had guys that they didn't want to take criticism. So that's one of the things as a leader you kind of learn is, you know, some guys, you know, can handle, you know, kind of a few cuss words and going at them. And then there's some, you know, you got to kind of learn, you know, you kind of got to coddle a little bit and you got to kind of take care of. So uh, that's one of the big things for me is, is, is the leadership. Cause I feel like if you do have, you know, some good leaders on the team uh, it could take your, your team a long way. Um, so hopefully you, you get that and they step up cause that would be tremendous. And it, and it takes a lot of pressure off your hands as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, this um, Scott is a guy who's played a lot of basketball, you know, when, when you got and, – and, and everybody will say this. You got some guys who are vocal leaders and some guys who lead by example. Mm -hmm. I really don't want just the example leaders anymore. I need these guys to open their mouth and be vocal leaders for our guys. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and i telling you, I, I completely – because that's, that's kind of how it was. You know, I came 
I brought my lunch pail to work every day. And I can promise you I was given 110% in practice, the weight room, everything, trying to and, – and that's one of the things, you know, it's, it's hard for guys to kind of speak up uh, and kind of learn that. But um, if any of them do listen to this, this is my advice for them. You know, you, you just sometimes got to put yourself out there. And if, you're, if you are leading by example and you do speak up, they almost have to take your word for it because you're actually doing it. It's the guys that, you know, are dogging it in practice and then try to speak up and you, you're like, I, don't, I ain't listening to this guy. He don't be – he don't be doing it. So uh, I'm, I'm going to let, uh, I'm going we're going to, I'm going to make sure Coach Lowe listens to this too. <laughs> He's going to say, well, man, I was trying to get him to say that doing when he was playing for me, but I'm good. And I'm going, my players will hear this because I want to, every, I want us to, we're going to play this over and over when you said you have to speak up, you have to talk. And, you know, Braxton Beverly's the same way. He's a tremendous kid, he's a quiet kid. He'll yep. dive on the floor. He'll do all the right stuff. But he's quiet. Like, yeah. I can't be quiet. I need you because you're an older guy. Don't be quiet now. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's those type of guys, you know, for me, it was kind of C.J. Williams. C.J. Williams wasn't averaging 25 points on our team, you know, but he worked his tail off every day in practice. And when he spoke up, you listen. It's just That's just how it was. And, and, and those are the kind of guys you – you kind of get, and you know, some people like me, it kind of took me a while to, to figure it out, but obviously the quicker you can pick it up, the, the better you'll be at it and the better your team will be. So. Absolutely. I so I know I'm hitting you with a lot of stuff, but uh, so I, I wouldn't consider myself a athlete or a great defender, but um, I can tell you one thing when it came down to scouting, there wasn't anybody out there that knew anything better. I would, if they called fist up, I knew exactly what it was. It was going to be a pin down. Maybe it was throwing a post. I knew exactly what the other team was playing, which made me look like a good enough defender. So obviously I had two coaches. They completely ran scouting team, completely different. So what for you as coaches, what do you kind of do for the scouting team? I know one group had, uh, I think they'd rotate the coaches. So one week it would be one coach, then the next week would do it, the next week would do it. And then I had one coach that it was just single-handedly uh, the assistant that, that ran the scout team. They ran everything. Kind of how, how does your staff do that? And um, what kind of ways do you kind of try to run the scout team? Well, that's a great question. As an assistant coach, I did, I've done it both ways. Um, when, you know, working for Coach Patino we would have to roll out there. We wouldn't have any paper in our hand and we would have to have 30 different plays in our head that we knew and we'd have to be great at it. Yeah. And, you know, when I first did that, I was like, man, that's tough to do. But it helped me along when I became a head coach because you can remember what, you know, back then we were in the Big East for the majority of the time, what Pitt ran or mm -hmm. Syracuse ran. And so what I've done with our guys is everybody – is a part of each scout. Uh, we have a main guy who covers, you know, obviously personnel, the other team's offense, and then I'll split it up with UOBs. Mm -hmm. Coach will have UOBs and press offense, and then one team will take similar, something like zone offense is what it is. And then we'll flop from each game. Somebody else will be the main guy. But I felt like I wanted everybody involved, and here's, here's why. A lot of times when you're assistant coach and you're on the bench and you're not involved in the scout and you really haven't watched games, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. All you control is how hard a kid plays, but you don't know what's going on. And so I want all of our guys, even though I have a main guy on each game, I want everybody to have a piece of it where they've been able to watch a little bit of what's going on and so they can identify what the team we're playing against. I, I couldn't agree more. So – when you do the scout, are you more a uh, understanding, you know, their type of plays, the main things that they're trying to get to, or are you focused more, you know, as the individual player, their tendencies, the things they like to do, or do you kind of mix both of them? Yeah, we try to we try to understand and how we stop them with what they do as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to get as many play calls as we can. We try to understand what they're trying to run. Um, you know, a lot of teams are more about tendency. We actually try to guard your action. And, you know, one of the things we do with our guys is our whoever's on scout team, because one team, we'll divide them up. One team will be on scout team and one team's defending the action. We try to get the scout team to, you know, obviously, you know, try to run the plays as aggressive as the other team does. 
Yeah. So we can understand that. On the, I think where a lot of people make mistakes is one of the things we do is we also try to figure out how do we score against their defense. Yeah. All the time in scouting, you spend so much time trying to defend the other team, you you forget that you got to spend some time on how to score against their defense. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that one. So, so as as a as a player, I never really heard like anything in in the stands. I never heard like my mom yelling. Anybody like that. So I'm curious to know as a coach, because I, I was at the Duke game, I can hear fans, I could hear, you know, the away crowd uh, as a fan yelling at you. Do you hear much of it or do you try to block a lot of it out? I don't hear anything. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy. When the ball is tipped, we all, most of coaches are into a zone. Yeah. We just locked into the game. And I've had coaches at the end of the game and said, did you hear that person behind? And I was like, no, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't pay attention. You know, I don't react to fans. Um, you know, obviously everybody's entitled to their opinions as long as yeah. they're not hurtful or demeaning to anybody, but I don't listen to them. See, I was, I'm curious to know that because, you know, as a player, like everybody asked me, did you hear, you know, somebody say something? I'm like, I, re- I can li- it's it's weird. I can be in Cameron Indoor, hear nothing. But if you said something to me or Lorenzo said something to me, I hear what they're saying. But I can't pick out anybody else in the crowd. So I was kind of curious to know that and how you know you tried to focus and not hear the background noise as you're as you're coaching. Yeah, I, I don't hear Scott. I haven't heard anything um, in my career, and I try not to. I try not to pay attention to anybody other than the guys that's on the floor. And that's, that's the way it should be. So, you know, here's, here's a couple of uh, silly questions. We've kind of got out of the, the more serious questions now. Uh, another tough one. I had Chris, Chris Corciani actually answered it. So I, I'm, I hope you don't kind of play the, the, the correct answer, but you pick the one you think is best. All right. Okay. I'm going to pick the one I think is best. If Chris answered it, I'm going to go opposite of what he said. You are- <laughs> the best place to eat on campus. The best place to eat on campus. I mean, that. think about what you just – you're asking me one of those tough things that uh, – all right, I'll give it to you for us. And, and you might not consider this an eating place, but I would say Howland Cow. Um, can I pick that? That that counts to me. That counts. If, if that's what you want to take. I told him when, – when I told him, he's like, hey, I can't just pick one. Like, yeah. I told him, I said, hey, you need to pick the guy that is going to be the less mad when you pick it. Yeah, and, and, and so I'm picking a dessert place. And I think all of the other places are tremendous, but we have our own ice cream and it's the best. There you go. And you get a lot of it when you win. So, I mean, it's yeah. you get quite yeah. a bit of it. So you should you should be familiar. And here's it. I don't even eat it. They tell me it's the best, just so you know that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so getting on, getting on to ping pong, table tennis. Yeah. Everybody talks about it. So – do you have a running tally? Like, what? where are we at on the, the career record of ping pong? I don't have a running tally. And if I had one, I don't remember what it is. But I will tell you, here at NC State, I probably have lost, and, and this is really a guess, probably six games. And I don't know who those six games were against. You know, I'm <laughs> one of those guys, when you lose a game, you forget quick. But – I haven't played in about a year. I mean, it's wow. been, you know, uh, and I shouldn't say a year. I should say probably 10 months. Uh, I played my son here. You know, uh, it's like playing your son one-on-one in the driveway. You beat him so bad. And then one day you're messing around and you're just playing and the game's tight and he hits a great shot and he beat me. And I haven't played since then. And so it's been a long time. And that was that was the COVID game. People think that I have a ping pong table or I've had a ping pong table table for years we just added a ping pong table i would say probably a month or two before covid sunk in or happened Uh and so i really don't have a chance to play at home i probably played during this time probably 10 games i'm not i'm not i'm not very good right now so here's my question i know you, you you say you forgot the people that beat you is it safe to say they're would they be players or would they be staff or fam like is that are we safe to kind of get on that it's i think it's mostly staff and if i've lost to a player 
it may be one or two, and I'm guessing on that because I'm thinking back to which player would have won, uh, but it's definitely been assistant coach somewhere. Um, I lost a game every now and then. I lost focus on a couple guys. And I'm not, listen, I'm not this great Olympic uh, ping pong. <laughs> just so you know that. I just – Well, I, I feel like every time I'm watching a game, somehow during the commentating, ping pong and table tennis gets brought up in it. So, uh, to me, I'm picturing you being at the Olympics in a couple of years. So, that's well, what I'm picturing in my mind. I say that, and I really believe that. But I'm just a defender. That's what I do. It's hard to score against me. And then what happens is why I became a great defender, I also became a good offensive player. And so now I'm, I'm good at placing the ball. But, Scott, if somebody that's really good that's been playing right now, it would take me about another month to get better to be ready to play. Well, I think you've kind of scared away a lot of your competition. So you, you don't really kind of worry about it too much. So, so you kind of touched on this question as well. So KJ and Caden, you got to pick one of them to be on your two-on-two team. Who would you take? You know, I'm going to probably take KJ. Only reason is because he's going to pass me the ball. <laughs> See, um, Coach Yanni did the same thing. He said, you know, when I was younger, I would pass, so I'd need a shooter. But he said, now that I'm older, I just want to shoot it all the time. So I'm yeah, going to take who's going to pass to me. And KJ, KJ will – Get me the ball. He's more of a pass first, probably point guard. Caden is shooting the ball every time he touches. And so <laughs> I'm gonna have to go, I'm gonna have to be the point guard. And I don't wanna be that. I wanna be the shooting guard. So I'm gonna probably take KJ. All right. All right. So now we're gonna move it the question to your staff. If you guys had a a one-on-one tournament, who who on your staff would win? Oh, no question. That's a that's the easiest question you gave me all day. Me. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna have to message a couple of them now to see if this all if, if this all lines up so I, I can appreciate that so all right me and you are in a gym who's gonna win in a in a horse game you know Scott as much as I love <laughs> and if, if you're telling me it's horse and horse. not just straight shooting like I'm gonna beat you in a horse <laughs> now if you take me and we just go shot for shot from three, not for me just to sit here and say that I'm going to beat you. Your record is way too well. You made victories. <laughs> you can make shots. But I got a lot of trick shots that um, I think I'll win the horse game. Now, I have to take control of the game. I'm in there first, and I've got to get you. And if I miss and then you start going at deep range, you got I'm going to make a few, but if you can continue to make them in a row, it may be a long day for me. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, when, when the virus finally dies down, I'll, we'll have to get in there and do that because I have two, two ways I play. So I'll play where I shoot only mid-range, so I won't miss. So then I just shoot all mid-range until yep. you eventually miss. And then the other way is the trick shot. So at the Dale, I've got, I got a few of them that I've – I mean, I haven't been there in a while, so I, I haven't have them down pat yet. But if I get back there and get some practice, it, it, it might be good to go. So – I'm the coach at NC, but the Dale is your home. <laughs> so we have to play trick shots. There you go. That's fine. And you anything regular where you shoot mid-range or three-pointers, we'll do trick shots. That's, that's fine by me. So I always do at the end of the segment, I, I've now done some fan questions. So a couple fans will send in a question, and I tell them, you know, I'll ask so you can answer it. So the, they're pretty uh, – pretty like serious about like the next year's team. And usually I'll pick a couple funny ones, but they, they wanted the, the good information. So I couldn't really get any good ones. So the first one came from Twitter. Clark Leonard wants to know, what's the biggest thing Devin Daniels has done this offseason to prepare himself for a great senior year? You know, I think he's concentrated on um, making his outside shot. He's become mm -hmm. a better, and I'm knocking on wood, a better standstill shooter. You know, I, I felt like at times – you know, he would – when it was time to shoot the ball, he would drive it. And it yeah. was time to drive the ball, he would shoot it. And so decision-making on when to take shots, um, you know, he's – obviously he was one of our better defenders last year. He's really worked on his body. Devin Daniels, Scott, and I know you stayed in the gym. He's one of those guys that you would respect because he's a yeah. gym rat. He stays in there after practice. He's in there about – you know, 20 to 30 minutes just getting shots up with the managers. But I think his decision-making, he's done a better job on 
uh, winning, win and making outside shots, being more consistent behind the three-point line. Yeah, and I, I can tell you what uh, – I think it was last season when, when we were coming in and working out when we got that time where we could come in the gym – it, he was almost always in there. He, he may not have got shots up, but he was in that gym about ready to get some shots up. So I've seen personally how hard he works. And uh, I was on a podcast the, the other day with a couple of guys. And, and for me, I, that, that's, that's, that's who I think is going to kind of be the engine uh, for you guys. He's, he's the one guy that his motor is just so high that he brings it every night and you got to have a guy like that every night that, you know, you know, you can rely on him to get 12 points, five boards, five assists. He's just that guy that has that motor. And I think he's really going to be the engine. So, uh, and then from the shooting aspect, just, just tell him it's all confidence, man. That's yeah. you get in there and shoot, you develop, you develop the confidence. And once you start to believe shots are going to go in, you get really dangerous. Well, if he start missing, don't worry. Um, <laughs> we'll make sure you get your COVID test. <laughs> get you with a mask, and we'll have you meet him in there, and you guys can go get some shooting up. I'm I'm the easiest shooting coach in the world. I just tell, hey, we just get shots up, and you just build the confidence. That's all it is. So, the next question is from Facebook, Devin Millen. How do you feel about the depth at each position on the team? I love our depth. It's probably the deepest team that I've had. That being said, that's including five freshmen in the depth. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, I want to fully implement my, my defensive schemes, meaning press a little bit more, mix the presses up. Yeah. The unfortunate thing about it is we're in COVID. And yeah. so obviously I tell, I'm telling all our guys to stay ready. There are going to be a game or two where we may have to play eight or nine guys because that's all we have. Uh, on a normal year, I would say this is the most depth that we've had. Depends on how this year plays out. Yeah. It'll, I mean, it's just, it's like you said, the, the virus just throws a monkey wrench and everything. And, and I guess just kind of to piggyback on it, do you have anything set in place? Like, I guess kind of like an emergency plan. Like if you guys kind of expected the worst and kind of what you would do if something did happen to a player or something happened. Yeah, we just, we, you know, there is no rule for basketball. You see how many players that you want to, that you can play with. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I guess my question, I think in football, and I may be wrong when I say this, like if a good portion of your linemen are out, you can't play the game, you don't have to play the game. I think ours is a lot of integrity. You know, can we go? Do we have enough people to play? Which it will be different for me because our style demands at least eight or nine guys to play, mm-hmm. and sometimes ten. And so it just, do we have a plan? We don't have one written down, but I do have a plan about obviously if this happened this scenario happens what do we do all right now the the last question which is it's probably the hardest one you'll have your expectation for the season how do you kind of expect it to go what what are your goals whether they're you know each game or you know for your end of season goals you know some coaches you know they have something on the 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 chalkboard every day saying I want 25 deflections at practice and they, and they mark it down. What, what are some of the goals that you expect out of your teams or some of the expectations that you've set for them um, early in the preseason? Well, we go into every game trying to get 40 deflections. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we talked about. One of our goal, one of my other goals as a team is I want us to be defensively. I want us to be more, I want us to be better half court defensively. I think full court, we do a tremendous job. But we've got to do a better job of shrinking the floor when we get into a half-court situation. I've talked about with our team. I'd love to get out a little bit more and transition. Even though we've been number one, two, and I think at the worst three in scoring in the league for the last two or three years. Uh, but, I, you know, I just – I want our guys to play with freedom. Um, I want our guys to play with confidence. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of our goals. We're going to take this thing – like, if you're asking me, all right, what's your goal for the season? Literally, where we at today in society and being able to play, we're, we're literally going to focus on one game at a time. And that's all we can do. I don't think it's in, I don't think you can look ahead, even though we never, never would. Like, if you were this were the time to say, but we've got a very competitive, tough schedule, you know, playing 20 ACC games. You got the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. We play UConn at Mahagan Sun. 
So 22 of our 25, 27 games are high major games. And then we really have four power five to five power five games in December before we even get into January. Yeah. So, you know, our, our focus has to be competing. And my guys compete all the time, but I won't compete on every possession. And then I want the type of guys that you raise your hand and you played so hard, then I'll take you out of the game and you let me know when you're ready to go back in. Yeah. Okay. So I said that was my last question. You gave me yeah. another question and talking right. about that. So uh, sorry to keep you keep you going. No, but no, no. We, hey, listen, hey, we can go. This is my off day. <laughs> Not my off day, the player's off day. So we got we got time. You, you, you ask whatever you want to ask. All right. So you, you brought up the schedule. So with the virus, one of the things that I thought about was how now does the committee do the scheduling and how do they, you know, are they going to change, you know, their kind of layout on how they pick teams now with there being, you know, not as many games or you wouldn't be able to schedule maybe, maybe you could have scheduled Arizona or a team like that that could have gave you a boost if you won. With, with that being like that, is the NCAA going to do anything to kind of change the way they, you know, bring together a committee? I think, I think Scott, it's going to go back to – adding the uh, eye test. You okay. know, you remember, I think the old eye test has always been there, but it's not been as much emphasis on that since we went to the net. I think you're going to have to add the eye test because what are you going to do when one team plays 13 games and they got great, great plays 27 games and they don't have as many wins, but they play more teams. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. How are you going to look at the disparity and from league to league? Our league's a great league, but if, if we get a chance out of the 20 games and we play, you know, 18 games and we got great wins and somebody only plays 10 and they got great wins, who do you take? You know, and yeah. so I think it's going to – I think it'll be the toughest decision that the committee is going to have to, to make to find 68 teams. Yeah, and I, I remember I sat down and had lunch with, uh, with Coach Yao – and we kind of talked about the year where you guys didn't make it and, and you guys were ex pretty much expected to be in there. And it's just, there's, there's so many things people don't understand that it's just, it's, it's a mess. And to this day, you should have been in. So, uh, but that's kind of the way it falls sometimes. But um, I, I hope they find something that's, you know, one fair. Like, listen, I, I felt so bad. I think it was, uh, is Torn Dorn was the senior that year, correct? It's 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 tough, especially your senior year where you deserve to be in and, and you end up missing it. But um, as long as they find something that's fair um, and, and they do the right thing by the by the student athletes is, is kind of all you can ask for. Absolutely. And, and that year you talked about, we had a really good year. We were in the that was the first year of the net and we were 35. And so unfortunately, we didn't get in and we had to, you know, obviously um, we were excited just to extend those guys playing and playing in the yep. NFC. And so we had to do what we had to do. And it's been a crazy year because nobody got in this year. And, you know, we had a great senior night, played Pitt at home in the, I mean, Pitt in the ACC tournament and was going to play Duke, which we split. And it was another great opportunity. You know? Yep. Yep. It was, uh, it was definitely chaos. I remember being at, I went and watched a Nebraska game at the big 10. And that was when, uh, What's his? What's the coach in Nebraska now? Uh, that was that with Hoiberg. Oh, that was okay. And and we were there, and, and that's when he got the flu and left the bench. Oh yeah, I and everything. Yeah. And it was just like everybody. They shut down all the tournaments, and it was just like, what is happening? So, uh, hopefully, some of it can get solved, and I hope that you guys get the opportunity. You know, especially for your seniors. I couldn't imagine going through this. Uh, I know it's tough, but hopefully, you guys get to finish a full season. Um, I appreciate you being on the on the show and 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 being able to talk. Yeah, listen, as always, man, I appreciate you and um, you know your loyalty to um, NC State the University and our basketball program, man. I really appreciate that. You're the best. Uh, look forward to things getting better when we get you back over there. I kind of miss coming on the balcony watching you guys play two on two sideways. So we got to figure that out. Yeah, well, hopefully it all kind of dies down a little bit and we can get back to the norm. So this concludes the second edition. I know, I know you wish it was the first, the second edition of Scott, Scott
Scott Woods, One Man Wolfpack. So everybody subscribe. Um, obviously, follow Coach on Twitter. I know he's, he's pretty good out on the social media site. So send him some questions if you ever have anything. And I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. So hopefully we can have a great full season. Um, and I wish you guys nothing but the best. Go Pack. Go Pack.